0: 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call one 800 4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call one 800 270 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code Baseball and get your $1,000 first bet offer today.
1: It's right It's a game! New week on the Just Baseball Show, Monday, May 22nd, Just Baseball Show presented by BetMGM. Jack McMullen, Peter Apple here to talk about the red-hot Baltimore Orioles, Walker Bueller on ingesting information, whether that be analytics, whether that be pitch shape. We're also going to talk fastballs with Walker Buehler. This starts... Almost like a, a six-week journey that we have with Walker, if you want to get very deep here. We're going to go a pitch at the end of every visit with him. Also, a couple of revelations that we got to get into. Mickey Moniak, Nolan Gorman, Christopher freaking morell man, and Ronald Acuna Jr. One of those guys is not like the other. Um, also got to ask Walker about what the hell happened at the PGA. Like, I'm not a golf guy. You're not a golf guy. But... I know you think your game is awesome.
0: It's not a think, it's a no, right? Like I know the sky is blue. I know that I rip it long and I rip it fast. Fast and hard. It's incredible what I can do on a golf course. You're a long Um, and hard guy. Yeah, yeah, long and hard always. I don't want to toot my own horn, but when I was 12, I was on a junior golf tour. Almost got kicked off twice. You want to hear the two reasons? PEDs. It it looked like it when I was twelve, Sticky no, but stuff. the real reason. So I was kind of an idiot. I was kind of an idiot, twelve year old golfer, believe it or not, based on just the way I was describing my golf game. But the first time, so I I go on the tee. It's the first green, and like it's it's probably a four hundred yard par four, but it's far and it's down a hill. So you're teeing off, and you know the depth perception, right? Like. You don't know how far the people are, but I'm 12. I can't drive the ball more than I don't know what it was at the time. 180, you can 200 yards. If you yards. put your
1: mind to it, you know, it's if you point. want
0: to, you can do whatever you want. Exactly. So that gets into the second part of my story. Okay. So the team in front of me, I think, is way down there. So like, oh, I'm free to go, hit the longest drive my 12 year old body could possibly do, and it almost hits them. So that was strike one. They're like, sounds like Barry you- Shambo, yeah exactly they were like why are you hitting right there and i said i didn't know i could do that and they're like look at you of course you could and i was like i agree the yeah. second part didn't happen i lied about that second part but the first part did where i almost got kicked off because of that second time 97 degrees i think i'm plus 16 after 10 holes easily in last place in the tournament and i take my shirt off hell yeah I wasn't really thinking can't take your shirt off
1: a, yeah but did you have the, that sick pectat when you were 12 too would have been cool so almost got kicked
0: off twice finished third in a tournament once out of like 12 different tournaments mostly finished in the bottom half but finished third once
1: that's sick so when you're telling so that's me- why
0: that's why i don't watch golf because as it. someone who is a who's a veteran of a tour
1: it's like what am i watching here got it um bueller watches golf so i gotta have him contextualize a golf thing um what I will say is it sounds like you've been an athlete since you came out of the womb and no you're doubt. still an athlete. Yeah. I, I got to be honest about something. I, okay. I went to, um, I had an off day from the Indy Indians on Sunday. So I came home. My girlfriend is like heavily involved in the Syracuse, like alumni stuff. She wants to be a, a super facey alumni and l- like, listen, I love Syracuse, but she's about the alumni events. Like, are you an alumni event guy? Not once. Yeah. So like I will go because my girlfriend is going. So, you know, our families went. It was at Wrigley Field and it was great. Like Cubs are in Philly. Cubs were in Philly. Um, You know, we go, we, we have a drink in the, you know, luxury club, whatever. And then we walk through the batting cage. You get to take some swings in the cage. I'll come back to that. And then, you know, you go out into the dugout and you, you know, like you do whatever you want in the outfield. You know, there were hot dogs out there, some beers out there. I hopped in the cage and everybody was hopping in the cage. You know, everybody was making some contact. It was probably like 35, 40 miles an hour coming at you. I am brutal. Like like, I used to know how to make contact. And like, listen, my high school coaches took the bat out of my hands really early. It was like, listen, you've got a left arm. Just use that. Don't don't do anything here because you are a detriment to society when you swing a bat. Yeah, like if you if you can sit in the low seventies, like you're going to be a PO. Exactly. Yeah. that was yours truly. So yeah. <laughs> that was what I ran into. First time swinging a bat, probably in like I don't know two years or something. Last time I was totally under the influence at at Slugger's, which is right next to Wrigley. Um, but
0: good for I you was for drinking so
1: bad, like horrible. Are you good at hitting baseballs anymore?
0: I'm an athlete. Like I went four for four in my softball games. Yeah, is it slow pitch? I mean, that's a detail that I don't think anybody's really worried about. Four for four on the stat line. Did lie about two doubles. It was one double, but I was hitting the ball hard. High average exit velocity. I mean, I just step in and I'm
1: an athlete, dude. How it is. Like I guess I'm not anymore. Like I've been, I've been playing catch and tell you what, my arm feels great. Um, but I tried swinging a bat and it went miserably, like horrible. That's the difference with me.
0: Like I, you know, I've been joking about being an athlete. I'm a 30 second athlete. Like my first burst, I'm right back there, yeah. but my body just falls apart within seconds. So it's like I just can't maintain it. But the burst is still there. You know what? Like if, you, start if doing... you put me in that cage, I would have hit three piss missiles and, and then then you're start done. holding my shoulder and be like,
1: Cut. like that was what I got got it got it so my thing is like i think i want to start wearing all the compression shit like i want compression yes. everything remember the fighting necklace yes i want that Shit gave you powers i want it Thought i do <laughs> <Give> too me- <laughs> uh and give me one of the-
0: remember those remember yeah. those dumb motherfuckers who were talking about that it actually made you more balanced
1: yes yes how about how about the <laughs> bracelet with like water from the himalayas and mud from the dead sea you like you experience the highs and lows there are so many gimmicks that i bought the fuck into they were awesome (laughs) i was a sucker for the gimmick um let's talk about these baltimore orioles real quick Mm -hmm. before bueller cool cool with me they
0: are so good right now
1: they just swept in toronto they won 9 of 12 against tampa pittsburgh and like say what you want about pittsburgh but they were 20 and 8 not too long ago the angels And the Blue Jays, in the month of May, Anthony Santander and Cedric Mullins are both hitting about 320, OPSing around 1,000. G-Rod has an ERA, I think, over 9. 28 hits, 18 earned in 17 and two-thirds. But guess what, man? Dean Kramer's got a sub two in May. Kyle Bradish has a two in May. Tyler Wells has been more of the same. Yenier Cano and Felix Bautista are a tandem from hell in the best way. This team is doing this while Jorge Mateo's hitting like 100 in May. Gunnar Henderson, more of the same, like low 700 OPS, batting average under 200. And Adley's hitting like 240, man. This team is way deeper than I think I was anticipating them being. I totally
0: agree. You know, um, I looked this up because Adley debuted on May 21st and we're recording on Sunday, May 21st for the Monday episode. And since Adley Rushman debuted... The Baltimore Orioles are 92 and 66, what 58, yeah, uh, 582 winning percentage in 158 games. That's on 94 win pace since Adley debuted and 47 games in is the fastest that the Orioles have reached 31 wins since 1997, where they started 31 and 14. And I'm so glad that you brought up the depth aspect of the Orioles because we talk about Felix Bautista. We talk about Yannier Cano, but this Baltimore Orioles bullpen is number three in ERA this season. They might even be lower after the stats adjust after that incredible performance they were putting up in back-to-back extra inning games. Like, we'll give Felix Bautista his shine. In game two, when he came in in extra innings, ninth, tenth, two innings, one hit, five strikeouts, it just doesn't get better than what he looked. Then you have Yannier Cano, who just gave up his first earned run over 21 innings against that blue jay squad gives up that first earned run you're like all right the magic's maybe over nope right back to it with one of the most unhittable sinkers but brian baker has been a stud Sinal perez started slow but has just continued to give them scoreless outings night in night out mike bauman another guy in their pen who has just been excellent danny columb in their bullpen, he's that lefty. He's 34 years old. He pitched with the A's. He pitched with the Twins. Like, even they just start throwing, like, Michael Givens in there, who gave up a run, but, like, whatever. If he's, like, the last of your bullpen, like, I remember not so long ago, Michael Givens was with the Mets and, like, their seventh inning guy. Like, he's, like, the throwaway guy. And then you have guys like Austin Voss. It just doesn't end in that bullpen. So we freak out about the starting pitching depth where, you know, we compare them to contenders and it's like, who's the ace that they're going to go to? When I look at this Orioles team, they have a path to winning even if the starter goes five innings, three runs. Like in this series against the Blue Jays, right? Dean Kramer gave up nine hits, but only one earned run. I think he went five or six innings. Grayson, couple earned runs. Gibson pitched great. So when they get a good outing out of the starters, they're basically unbeatable. But even if the starters give up three through five innings, the bullpen locks it down for the rest and the offense just needs to score four. And when the offense is this good, when you look at a guy like Adley, who is just still unconscious, Ryan Mountcastle, again, one of the better power hitters in the national league, Cedric Mullins with the cycle, not so long ago, but he's still doing his thing. Like even Adam Frazier is getting base hits. Austin Hayes is playing well. Jorge Mateo has slowed down a little bit, but at the bottom of your lineup, that's still a really good player. And it's, it's funny too, because Gunner hasn't done anything. Gunner, has been one of the worst hitters, worst qualified hitters in Major League Baseball. And they're still doing this. And we know that Gunner's going to heat up. Yep. Gunner isn't even 22 years old yet. Like, Gunner is going to be completely fine. He's going through a little bit of a lull. We see it with Julio Rodriguez in Seattle. Like, these guys are so young. They come up, do really well, then pitchers adjust. Adley is just in another tier because you just can't adjust exactly. to him. He's too good. He's too yeah. good of a pure hitter. It's like, it's not Maurer S because. Adley, I don't think, is ever gonna hit 360 like I mean, Maurer the play did. Discipline is better than anything Maurer ever had. Like I think that's I think that's an argument that could be made there. Like it's O OBP. Like the, the, way, he he at, yeah. the yeah. way he works in at Yeah. The way he works in that bat is better than any catcher in Major League Baseball. Like I would argue that maybe Will Smith is the best offensive catcher. For sure. but I you can't find a catcher working the A B better because even when Adley gets out. The 3-2 count was seven or eight pitches thrown, and then, like, he'll hit a hard ground ball to the second baseman and get out. But, like, every single at-bat is ultra-competitive. You go down the lineup and, like, yeah, the starting pitching is kind of weak, but Bradish keeps improving start over start. Wells is just a freaking beast. Tyler Wells might just be flat-out good. We make fun of Kyle Gibson... But, like, if he had a 4-2 at the end of the year, like, would you be surprised?
1: And like, that's fine. He's a 5. Like, that. that's what but they like, need. That's they signed him to be a 1. Like, relatively speaking, they gave him but the they money didn't, to be the they 1. They didn't pay him 1 money. It's just you
0: looked at the rest of the Orioles and you're like, maybe is he the 1? Yeah, he's but the 1, like, he's, yeah. But, like, he's not the 1. Like, Tyler Wells is better, right? Yeah. Like, Bradish is better. Like, these guys are better. And then having him, and then Dean Kramer's your 5, and, like, his peripherals say yeah, he should good. retire. But he, just, he hasn't given a shit about peripherals now for a while. So it's like, am I are we going to keep going back to it? Are we going to keep saying his XERA is this and his FIP is this? When he just keeps shoving? Like, yeah, he's probably due for a little bit of aggression. But again, if he's a 4ERA guy, like if they have a bunch of three fives and 4ERA guys, one of the best bullpens in baseball in an offense that's
1: unconscious, like you're going to win 95 games this season. For sure. Um, I, I don't know if they take the division, but like the more I – dial into the baltimore orioles the more i think they can write the ship with what they need the ship righted on um and and like again there isn't much right they're the second best team in baseball by win total only behind somebody else in their division right now um i think i can poke two holes in the baltimore orioles right now and that is one of the outfield spots cedric mullins has been dynamite in center Austin frickin' Hayes, man. Hayes has been a beast. Who knows how long this will go? We saw him start great last year, then he tapered off. But you got Terran Vavra in right right now. I was hoping Stowers was going to be good enough to stay, but Stowers was brutal. He got optioned. I think Cowser is close. I mean, even a guy like Daz Cameron is waiting in the wings. Ryan McKenna is on your bench right now. I think they can figure out right field. Once they get some continuity in right field, it's all eyes on the starting pitching. G Rod can't be worse than what he's done to start his career. Like that's my other main concern. And we've talked about him. We actually talked about him on the call up. Arm and I. Wait, before you get into Grayson, yeah. like Anthony Santander can still play right, right? Yeah, but Santander made his first career start at first. You don't need him there, obviously. Mountcastle's got ten pumps. Santander can play right. I prefer Santander as the DH because I think there are enough good outfield options in McKenna, in Stowers, yeah. in Cowser. Like I think it's no doubt. Yeah, it's easier to fill right field with one of those guys and have Santander be really comfortable as a DH than just, like, force a turnstile at DH and have Santander play an average right field. You know what I mean? Even slightly below average. Yeah, like, I I would rather him just DH. Um, Yeah, like, I feel really good about Tyler Wells, which is such a weird thing that I was not expecting myself to say on April 22nd. And here on May 22nd, I'm like, Tyler Wells gets outs, And he goes into the seventh inning every time I watch this guy throw. I was watching an interview.
0: I was watching an interview with Tyler Wells, and they asked him, you know, what's the stat that you're looking at? And he was like, whip. Like, that's the stat that I'm keying in on, which is such a great conversation because it's going to lead into Walker Bueller. Like, what stats are most important, you know, getting into the analytics? And, you know, other guys were like, you know, I'm looking at, you know, velocity, I'm looking at spin rate, I'm looking at shape, I'm looking at all this different stuff. And Tyler Wells is like, Whip kind of gives you a good idea. Like if I'm giving up not that many walks and not that many hits, I'm going to be doing pretty well. And considering so right.
1: he has a whip under one, he's doing pretty damn well. He's one of the top five pitchers in baseball in terms of whip. I, I think he was number one last time I he's checked. He's number like, one for a while. Yeah. So if he's paying attention to whip, he's having a great fucking season so far. Yeah. Um. No, I mean, Tyler Wells has been great. Again, you mentioned Bradish has been doing better. Dean Kramer, you feel good about as the five. Kyle Gibson has been serviceable. If G-Rod can figure out whatever's going on here, I think this team is, I don't want to say unstoppable because I think the Rays are unstoppable and I want to reserve that word for the best. But I think this team is one that can actually play until you can see your breath at the end of October. I was just so impressed
0: with this game on Sunday, Orioles versus Blue Jays. I mean, it's Kevin Gosman versus Dean Kramer in a game that the Orioles already won the first two. You expect to lose that game. That's in Major League Baseball. Like you lose that game more often than you don't. They won 8-3 and it was the most Orioles game ever. Dean Kramer allows nine hits, one earned run, right? Kevin Gosman is shoving, but it doesn't matter and it goes to extra innings. And then once it goes to extra innings, they have too many arms. Like the Blue Jays just can't keep up. And then, you know, a match Chapman, I think he threw and hit a guy uh, running home. That might've been game two. I'm not totally positive. But what I do know is that the Orioles broke it up in extra innings and then it was game over. Like then they bring in more guys and then that's the end of the game. Like they can just do that. You have to really steamroll the Orioles to keep them out of it because they're also the king of the comeback. Like they're such a team that, down three, down four, it almost doesn't matter because they can put up a five spot on you like that. They play as a team, so much energy. It's such a fun team to watch because they're never out of it. And when you have a bullpen like that, I mean, this is a, this is an avenue to winning. And we talk about the Orioles and how excited we are because this is not the year, right? Like this, it's fun that it's looking like the year, but they have maybe the number one overall prospect in Jackson Holiday. Yeah. They have Colton Kowser, like you said. Joey Ortiz is tr- starting to get some love. And La- West- West- he's still really young. Westberg West- is kicking ass. Yeah. Kicking ass. Guys Kirstad, like he's- Kirstad won't stop hitting in the minor leagues. We could just keep naming them.
1: Like, there's so many. They are the second best team in baseball right now with the best farm system in baseball. It, I mean, you can't beat it. Imagine you if D.L.
0: Hall learns how to throw a strike.
1: The world is their oyster, man. The like, world is their oyster. I think if they did the and, – and Cade Povich has been good. He was just a guest on the call-up. Um, I think if they did an L.A. Angels approach um, to this year's draft where there's 20 rounds, they take 20 arms, like the Angels <laughs> did a couple of years ago, uh, I, I think the Baltimore Orioles are in an insane position. So the last question I have for you regarding the Baltimore Orioles is like, you know – do you think that they should be considered legitimate World Series contenders at this point?
0: World Series is tough because it's the starting pitching. It's like when when games like that, but their offense can play and like, you can make the argument. And if you look at past World Series teams, I mean, the offense is really important and they have it in droves. I just get scared when it's, you're in the ALCS and it's, for Amber Valdez against Tyler Wells. Like, the so, Orioles are great against lefties, but like sometimes when they also have a great bullpen, but then when I think of like World Series contenders, they really just have to get by them because they can beat the Rays. They can beat anybody else in the East. They can beat anybody else in the Central. But dude, and like, you I'm look crowning the, the Astros. And I'm crowning the Astros
1: already, and the Rangers are straight up better this season. So it's like, yeah, why wouldn't they be World Series contenders? Exactly. I think this might be an end of week conversation, like one of our. This might be this Friday's conversation, like who are the teams that you can close your eyes and see hoisting a World Series trophy at the end of this year? Because I think the list that we had going into the season and the list now could be pretty different lists, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to keep the Mets on that list. But it's getting harder to keep the Mets getting the hardest. Harder. Thankfully, they're keeping up, and it's because of the, the young guys. But, like, who's to say that the Orioles aren't in that conversation? And who's to say that you may close your eyes and and not see, you know, the Cleveland Guardians in that conversation now? Like, is Minnesota in that conversation? So I think we should have that conversation on Friday. But uh, Baltimore, give me a predicted order of finish in the AL East. We're going to do, like, a monthly check-in with this. Like, I just want to know how you think this is going to shake out, and then we'll get to Bueller. So funny,
0: Um, I tweeted that at the time it was the Rays in first, the Orioles in second, the Blue Jays in third, the Yankees in fourth, and the Red Sox in fifth. And I was like, I can see the AL East ending up like that. At the beginning of the season, my prediction was Rays, Blue Jays, Yankees, Orioles, Red Sox. It's so tough because it's like all of these teams – Outside of the Red Sox, but I do think the Red Sox are better than, you know, we advertise them as because their offense is just so good. Yeah, but it's really hard for me to come to you with a prediction right now because then the Blue Jays are not playing good baseball right now. But then when they start get going, it's like, who's going to beat them? The Yankees are playing excellent baseball. They have a 14 and six record in May. They have really turned it on. The Orioles won't stop winning. And then the Rays are just almost unbeatable. Yeah, so. For the podcast' sake, and this is just going to keep changing because it's based on, you know, how these two teams play. I'm going to ask
1: you consistently.
0: Yeah, And I think I would still go Rays, Orioles. I think the Blue Jays have more problems than advertised, but when they're playing well, they're so good. But the Yankees are going to get healthy. I think it's going to be Rays, Orioles, Yankees, Blue Jays, Red Sox. Okay.
1: I go Rays, Blue Jays orioles yankees red sox i think the blue jays yes those front three have been hot bichette chapman flatty i think when the rest of that lineup starts clicking with those top three like we're going to see a june from the toronto blue jays that that offense is inarguably the best in baseball like when dalton varsho gets going i think this shit's going to be a movie no i agree i just you got to
0: counteract some of that pitching because it's you like do. the only guys who are giving them anything is Gosman and Bassett.
1: Bassett's been great though. Yeah, Bassett's and been Nate great. And Pearson looks awesome in that bullpen. Like, I don't know. There are so many in conversations. In the bullpen though, yeah, I, yes. But like, that's not a game changing
0: piece. Like, Bassett, Bassett has been good. But again, like, if we're going to dock the Orioles for peripherals, like, we got to dock Bassett. We got to dock Barrios. Got to yeah. dock Kikuchi. Got to dock Manoa. Like, that's four of five, and then for some reason, and Blue Jays fans would agree with me here, they just don't show up offensively for Gosman starts. Like yeah. they just lose Gosman starts when he shoves, and I'm sure Gosman is like, "What the fuck, guys?
1: Yeah. Like, why are you doing this to me?" Yeah. All, All right. right, enough at least. Let's talk pitching, bourbon, and other shit with Walker Bueller. Week four with Walker Bueller. We're talking fastballs. We're talking pitch mix. We're talking some data just some overwhelming like numbers and and the information that you guys are given also michael block at the pga i know walker's a big golf guy uh, and Yish's too but first what are we drinking king i i got a message after you told us that we were doing eagle rare sorry yep. i stole it from you but it's i got a message me. <laughs> that after you said we were doing eagle rare and somebody told me that it was the best bourbon they've ever had where are you on that
2: it, it's up there. I think uh, price point wise, it's certainly up there. I think that's a it's kind of an interesting caveat, right? It's like yeah, there's been a lot of you know number one picks in the draft that have been really good players, but like some of the the best value guys ever, Pujols is certainly up there, Piazza, like those kind of guys. Uh, like Buffalo Trace is that for me, where it's like 25 bucks. But Eagle Rare price points probably like the highly touted third round pick uh, that that ends up being a really, really good player. But no, Eagle Rare is definitely one of, one of my favorites and probably, um, you know, they kind of put them in categories of like once in a while, you know, you'll get one that's like very different tasting and that's kind of a once in a while Eagle Rare for me, they call it like a daily drinker. I guess it's like a daily driver for a car. Uh, One that I never get tired of. It's kind of got the, the oak and the vanilla stuff that is pretty standard bourbon kind of, flavor but obviously really good and, and one of my favorites and a pretty cool model
0: too i love when we uh we talk bourbon with you uh because we go through the different options and then buffalo trace always comes up it's like that's yeah. like the standard so if buffalo trace is a 10 what is eagle rare
2: um buffalo trace is actually an eight year i believe this one's no, HD. i mean
0: like on a, on a scale one to ten like your favorite like if that's oh, see, i wouldn't, that's I wouldn't say that
2: i have i have my 1a 1b my kind of favorites but that that's kind of the hard part we talked last week about it kind of be like pokemon cards for me like you can't always get like what you know your favorite ones they're kind of hard to come by and even with a little relationship with buffalo trace and another place called mictors which make two of my favorites like i can't always get my favorite ones and i gotta kind of be selective on who i uh who i dole those out to so gotcha uh, okay. weller, weller 12 is probably um no doubt in the conversation for my favorite bourbon, but, uh, you know, Buffalo Trace doesn't make many bad products and, you know, most of their stuff, at least for a certain reason, uh, you know, they're all different in, in a little bit, you know, price point, alcohol level, certain flavors, the age obviously is a big part of that, but uh, yeah, Eagle Rare is up there for sure.
1: I love it okay so Buffalo Trace is your value pick your <laughs> I love that third round is Eagle Rare and the yep. red box behind you is one one like breaking the bank Dylan Cruz to Pittsburgh this year I get it yeah that's
2: that may be like a Wimbayama or whatever the guy in the NBA's name is
1: how hey what were you what was your take on um, ESPN sending a guy over there for like the 2 30 a.m interview for 40 seconds did you see that with that, with the kid, with Wembenyama, after San Antonio won the lottery.
2: Oh gee, I didn't know that. I know that they were like freaking out over there. I guess the the French guys and or the French nation, you know, France and the Spurs have some sort of like connection, right? I guess because of Tony Parker. The yeah, Tony, yeah, uh, exactly. Greg I know Popovich. they were everybody <laughs> was like, fired up over there about that. 100%. I thought
0: his he was talking about the hype surrounding himself, like Victor Wembenyama was, and he was like, "I'm not." you know surprised by it because i think i deserve it that's cold-blooded because we forget like that's a 19 year old brain in that seven foot five guy like you're 19 i remember what i was thinking when i was 19 and i didn't have that level of confidence
2: i guess if you if you don't include this year's nfl draft and go the next three drafts professional big professional sports you may have three of like the most impressive number ones as a group maybe ever maybe we should look through that and come up with like the top 5 ever but if you're talking crews or skeens right both are kind of seen as like generational then you then got you, the quarterback from USC
0: Caleb Williams, Williams who's yep. a and Patrick this, Mahomes clone
2: yeah and then this Wembanyama i know i'm not saying that right but no you
1: no, got it. you got it all right we got to get to these yeishes. and i'm like I'm thinking like dramatic reading of the recent yeishes. Three piece yeesh. All state State Farm Insurance yeesh on yeah. a three run bomb from Moki in a one nothing game. Yep. Anti yeesh for yep. a home run robbery. Mm-hmm. Left on left yeesh. Yep. You're having a good time. Like what is the what's the deliberation process before you hit the all caps and go?
2: It's very very short. Not a whole lot of deliberation.
0: <laughs> You're um, me there's not a ton of thought behind those yeishes?
2: No, not at all. They're just—they're uh, kind of quick off the uh, the Twitter fingers. I, you know, I've never been a good tweeter at all, and I—it kind of—it uh, it helps. It, it matches me because I have a basis. I just get a little creativity, and I can't really take it too far. So i i have stuck with Yeesh. I thought about trying to do a different one every month. Uh, <laughs> like Oof would probably be my next one. But I think I'm gonna stick with yeesh.
0: But you know how, uh, you know how the term "him," like I'm him, has just yeah, been kind of yeah. thrown around for anybody. Do yeah. you think that you might be overdoing the yeeshes, so the word yeesh doesn't have that same effect that it might be if you dropped it once a week? Like, no, that's what I I'm think curious it, about.
2: I think it is an uncommonly used enough word that you can't, you're not gonna over over bake it. You know what I mean? if there's too many people saying I'm him. There's only one him, right? Yeah. Yeesh is, is, it's, you know, it's widespread enough.
1: <laughs> well, I would argue and say every corner and safety in the NFL and FBS college football is him. And I think yeah. they call themselves him. Several right. Times. Um, I need you to do me a favor. Okay. Okay. I need you to explain Michael block to me in baseball terms. And Peter does this a lot with like other sports, right? Explain this to me in baseball terms. Michael block is this 46 year old that was paired with Rory McIlroy in the PGA championship this past weekend on Sunday. And block is like, I I'm again, I'm not a golf guy. I know you're a big golf guy. Like to, He's what, he's a club pro. Yep. So what is this comparable to? So
2: First off, I guess I understand that because everyone thinks pro means a pro golfer, right? Yeah. A club pro is essentially uh, the head teaching individual at any country club. And I I, I don't know 100% of my assumption is there's like a level of country club that you have to be at uh, to actually be like a club professional or a member of whatever, the, the PGA, I guess. Um, we were kind of I'm very embarrassed that I didn't remember this name because he's a Kentucky native. We did look it up. Steve Delabar is the closest baseball comp that I can think of. There might be another one out there, but he was like a high school teacher, baseball coach, did weighted balls, started throwing 100, and made an all-star team, which is wild. I guess for those of you that are movie fans, the rookie, I believe is the name, I guess is, is the other kind of comp um yeah it's pretty it's pretty crazy the the wildest thing about it though is making the cut is such a big deal and like i've gotten to talk to some of these golfer guys about that and people don't really realize like they it's not that they don't make any money when they don't make the cut they lose money because they fly there they put themselves up they pay their cat whatever and so to make the cut is huge to make the cut in the majors even bigger and then he made the top 15 to the point where he gets invited back there next year and I get—I just saw on Twitter he got invited to the tournament next week. So yes. that guy just went from having very little golf income; he plays in like sectionals and stuff. To now, he just made three hundred grand. He's gonna go play in another tournament next week. That's so
0: cool. I have a—I have another golf comp to MLB question. So Brooks Kepka ended up winning um, at yep. minus nine, and I've seen so many interviews with Brooks. Like I remember on Pardon My Take, he. Was joking around about golf. I don't even know if he was actually joking, but he did say it would be cool if they could just take off four holes and make it a little bit shorter. He says he blacks out from holes five to 14. Who is a personality like that who's just so easygoing that maybe you've played with that is also incredibly talented? Like he's a guy who, you know, is not lackadaisical, is like the wrong way to describe him, but he's just you can tell that pressure is not really getting to him. Right. That yeah, he's just go- The, yeah, the tough
2: thing about him is that the, the aesthetic, right. He's one of the bigger, bigger looking golfers and stuff. Doesn't match up with that. Like thought process of what exactly. you think of, right. Like you think he doesn't care, but like you have to care to go and end up making your body look like it does. And I guess, especially five or six years ago when he was shredded, um, I don't know. I think in terms of the – that lackadaisical plus talent that kind of under the surface, right, is not lackadaisical. Like it it can't be. I think Machado would probably be um, the closest to that. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because Kepka is like – depending on how you look at it, you can be really hypercritical of that approach. But then you look at like the list of guys that have won five majors, it's all – like all timers, right? So he's put himself, it's just crazy. He's won, what, like seven tournaments or something and five have been majors? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's wild. No, I love I'm the thinking. Machado
0: comp because Machado was also super accomplished too. Like yeah. he's a 300 plus million dollar guy. He's yep. made many all-star games. He's considered one of the best third basemen of our era. So yep. that's a it's a very good comp like there.
1: Uh, The other guy I'm thinking of there is like a Robinson Cano when he was a Yankee, right? Like Cano was just so smooth. It was like, oh, lazy, but he got shit done. Like he was uh, an incredible ball player. It almost looks lazy because it's so effortless. Right. That's kind
0: of the vibe that Kepka gives and Machado gives, where it's just so smooth and like he gets the back end, throws it over to third base, and it looks like he's moving 10 (laughs) miles an hour, when in reality it's just he's so good he can make it look like that.
2: Yeah, I think the other thing on Machado is the durability, right? He plays so many games every year, and Cano by the end wasn't playing a whole, whole lot. Obviously, um, probably one of those players that is as is as physically good. And, like, play. we always say, like, oh, he's so physically talented. And I, I think sometimes that's like a – it's almost a knock, right? Like, Robinson Cano was so physically talented. Like, he's as good as any Hall of Fame player. He just didn't do it enough times probably, yeah. right? Like Machado probably will end up doing it enough times that he'll probably be a Hall of Famer. Same with Kepka; he's won enough majors, right? And he stayed in majors long enough. So right. yeah, I like that comp. That was kind of spur of the moment, but I feel pretty good about
1: it. You, you should, should I like good. that one. Um Jumping from guys that, you know, we're talking about that that have so many accolades to guys that are trying to get, you know, their first big league wins under their belt. Your team is running out Gavin Stone for the second time in his career, and Bobby Miller for the first time in his career in Atlanta. You go yeah. Stone against Morton. You go Strider against Bobby Miller in his big league debut, and then you go Tony Gonsolin on the road against Bryce Elder, who's been pitching like he's yeah. standing in his head so far. Now. Two point zero six ERA for Elder. Just ground yeah. ball out. That's <laughs> awesome. Crazy. So I I guess overarching question, like how big is this series for these three arms and the LA Dodgers? And then I would love if you could kind of take us into your interactions with both Gavin and Bobby Miller.
2: Yeah. Um, obviously big for both of them. Bobby got a little slow start this year with the shoulder and was around him a lot just in the rehab process when he was getting that that kid absolutely works his ass off for, for lack of a better term. And, um, you know, I, I think kind of his air about him maybe would lead you to believe different about him, which I really was kind of have been convinced for a couple of years on just the work ethic and stuff. And um, I'm really, really excited for him. That'll be a, a big velo game. But it kind of it kind of in a weird way reminds me of uh, I faced Armand Marquez like three times our rookie year in 2018 and he and I were both, he was throwing hundred at the time and I was throwing pretty hard. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit. So that'll be a, that'll be a fun one. I hope he, you know, it'll be, it's hard for him because when he kind of cruises, it's at a hundred. And so 98 to hundred, maybe. And so if anything goes, or if he walks a guy, everyone's going to tell him to like calm down. And I remember this distinctly because you're throwing so hard that everyone thinks you're trying too hard. Right. Or you're like, you're, you know, gassed up. And like, I remember my, my rookie year for me, throwing harder felt more efficient and like I could actually throw better. And so I, I hope for him, he just sticks with like doing what's comfortable to him and, and fills it up at a hundred. And I think he will do pretty well.
0: So when I hear Bobby Miller comparisons, I feel like the name that comes up the most is you, Right it's not exact you know there is no exact comp but whenever i hear like oh bobby miller might be the next walker bueller that's like the name that i hear the most um when listening and you know watching interviews about bobby miller do you see any of those comparisons there
2: yeah i think in terms of the delivery and obviously the body it it's drastically different like he's a huge human and big strong um and i just wasn't that way especially when i was younger but um, I think from the hand to the plate, it's pretty similar. Um, he definitely has the ability to he probably has more ability to work like the inside of the ball than I did, turn to change up and like the little two seamer. I've always thrown a two-seamer more um uh, to change the spin. I just wanted the spin to look different. Like I throw like a 14 and 14 two seamer at best, where he's throwing like a 18-inch run Dustin May-ish two-seamer. And a pretty good four-seamer, right? So mine, mine was more of an optical kind of mix thing. This is like a legitimate two-seam fastball as well as his four. So, um, you know, I think I I had the little cutter probably a little bit earlier, and um, yeah, I don't. I I would say I had I probably had a touch more command, but I don't really know. I mean, when I first came up in September of seventeen, I walked like eight guys per night, so it's hard for me to really stand on that. But uh, yeah, I think maybe I was a little more polished, but I think he probably has a little bit more ability than I had and, and definitely has uh, more of that traditional workhorse starter frame. Yeah. So I mean, I, Do- I know we're all excited about
0: him. Dodger fans hearing that Walker Bueller is saying mm-hmm. that Bobby Miller has, you know, a little bit more stuff than me right now is probably making them salivate at the mouth. <laughs>
2: Like, well, like, you know what's funny about the whole thing is I
0: like I'm so envious
2: of Gavin Stone too because his chain I can't really throw a, a great changeup and his is a great changeup. So in some weird form like I know in this pitch or this route, like cutter slider, like I have a better cutter slider than Gavin Stone probably. But I'm so envious of him because he has a probably 70 changeup, right? Maybe even more than that at times. So while you know, I can say that these guys have better – like, that is my perspective because they can do certain things that I can't.
1: Right. Last thing on Bobby, I was in – I was calling games in Brewster out on the Cape. Were you ever out on the Cape? Yeah, I played for YD. For YD, okay. So we were the first – when
2: they three-peated, I was the first year.
1: Okay. Who else was on those teams? Like, who were –
2: We were kind of a Um, Our rotation was me. Phil Bickford was on my team. Damn. Josh Stallmont was on my team. Damn. Cody Poteet was on my team. Yeah. We had a third rounder out of Illinois named Kevin Duchesne was on that team.
1: I remember that name.
2: Um, we had Bro, a third thought... rounder out of UCSB named Justin Hockamy. Yep. Yeah, we were pretty good. Damn.
0: I thought Bickford coming out of Fullerton was going to make the Hall of Fame. Like, I thought. <laughs> he got drafted ahead of me. He was doing something right. Dude, he was throwing 99 like so young and he had that flow and I was just like that's the Hall of Famer. That's what I it looked like. It.
2: This is actually kind of a funny story. So yeah. that we played in Omaha. We won Omaha that year. Yeah. So I didn't get to the Cape till like July 7th, I think. So I made like three starts. I went to USA for a week, pitched one game with USA, came back for the playoffs. And by that time like our school started like August 13th or something. So like August Eighth, I needed to be out there. I needed to be at home for like two days at least. So my grandmother flew up to Cape Cod and was going to drive back with me. And we stayed in this little motel there. She came to start the playoffs. She ended up having to stay there for like 12 days because we kept advancing. And so I pitched game one of the championship series at Falmouth. I think it was Falmouth, wherever Kevin Newman played. Yeah,
1: that might be Falmouth.
2: I threw pretty good. We hopped in the car and started driving home. So we were in West Virginia. I was watching the Cape Championship game on my phone while we were in West Virginia. And Bigford threw the last two innings. He threw 28 straight fastballs, 28 straight strikes. <laughs> and
1: I don't hilarious. think
2: a single one was below 96. He was incredible.
1: That's awesome. Jeez. Um yeah so I was I was calling games in Brewster when Bobby was in Brewster in 2018 and I saw Bobby the next year throwing for Louisville and then I saw him again in 21 in Haye when he came to Fort Wayne and like just seeing his body each time I'm like that's not the same Bobby Miller like that yeah. dude got massive so really really impressive stuff um Stone first time we saw Stone throw for the Dodgers you know, he kind of had, like, that that big league debut issue, right, where you, you nibble a little bit, and it, you know, from the couch, it looked like he might have lacked some confidence, but he's got right. stuff that he should be really confident in. What do you feel like, you know, he needs to improve on going into start two?
2: Yeah, He's not a lack of confidence guy at all. He, he's a quiet, quiet kid. He's from Arkansas. Like, I get along with him really well, talk about duck hunting and stuff. And, um, yeah, I think the thing for him is he probably got that big adrenaline spike, and I remember – you, know, you look him in the third inning and this guy, I've seen him in the minor leagues at 98, right? And he's throwing 91, 92 on our fastballs. Um, and I was kind of, what's, but you think about it, like I think he probably got the adrenaline spike early and, and probably got a little tired. I think it was a day game too, which is never super easy to manage that kind of stuff. It kind of takes you a while to learn um, how to get enough adrenaline in a game, in a day game and, and let alone sustain it because, you know, really we're, we're pretty trained to peak at like seven o'clock. Yeah. So for him, it, it's hard to, you, you have to manufacture that adrenaline a little bit in day games Yeah. to begin with. And then he just had his big league debut, you know, going crazy. So, uh, he probably just had a little bit of that dump. And, and I think, you know, the second one is always significantly easier. I actually threw better, I threw better in my first one than my second one, but, at least mentally, the second one is a lot different than than the first one.
0: And my last my last question about these two, speaking about expectations, because I always I'm always curious about this, too, because every pitcher in their debut or in their second start, you know, expectations for a guy down the line. We all think that Bobby Miller is going to be amazing and that Gavin Stone's yeah. going to be amazing in a couple of years. But Gavin Stone, like, what is your expectations for his next start? Like, what do you think he's thinking about of, like, all right, even if I allow three runs or something, I did this successfully. And then Bobby Miller and his first start, like what should expectations be for Dodger fans when they're watching? And then what do you think (laughs) their expectations are?
2: Yeah. I I distinctly remember the only thing uh, you care about all this shit, right? You want to go punch out. If I get to throw five innings in the big, I want to punch out 15. I don't want to give up a hit and all this stuff, but at least externally you want every one of your teammates to believe that you gave the team a chance to win, especially earlier mm-hmm. in your career. That was always like the biggest thing for me is like, I think, um, I don't think your teammates ever think this, but I, I know as a starting pitcher for me, if I walked a bunch of guys, I always knew that I was like, I always felt more that I was like letting the team down. So for me, it was like, I want to throw strikes. I want to work quick. I want to make this. So I'm not a hindrance on them in any way or like you almost have that little bit of imposter syndrome where you're like i shouldn't be here let me see if i can fake it enough to where they don't notice that i just made my debut like that was kind of the mentality
1: real quick when did you get over that like how many starts did it take for you to get over that feeling
2: um i mean i it's one of those like we call it like taste yourself thing but My third start, I threw in Mexico and we threw a combined no hitter and I threw six and I was on a pitch count at the time. So I wasn't allowed to go over 75 and I got through six on 75 pitches in Mexico. And I remember thinking like, oh, like I I can do more than just survive was kind of the feeling. Like, yeah, it went really well. We didn't give up a hit, but it was six innings on 75 pitches. I got below that 15 per inning mark, right. which I think is the barrier for like surviving, right? <clears throat> yeah. And so for me, that was like the oh, I I think I can do this.
0: That's so awesome. we're gonna we're gonna talk through some fastballs on video for all the people watching on YouTube. We got a couple pitchers, but before we get into that, I've always just been interested in your pitch mix right because you've always had this electric four seam fastball but you've always thrown kind of three different variations of fastballs mm-hmm. whether that be the sinker the cutter and the four seam yeah. and early on in your career you know you were throwing you know if i'm if i'm not mistaken you were throwing a lot of sinkers but then yeah. as the years progressed you started throwing that cutter more and then in 2022 it reached a career high usage at 25% so I'm just curious your maturation of pitches because we talk about the mindset, but your pitch mix has changed year yeah. over year. You you never see, like, oh, he always throws the slider 25%. It right. always changes year over year. So how has that matured throughout your career?
2: Um, I'm I'm a huge I think I've talked about this before. I'm I'm more of a pitch to guys' weaknesses yeah. scouting mm. guy. So my pitch mix is really, is what it is. Like, it's not my choice or my determination. I'm borderline just kind of trying to go to where guys, uh, my expectation or my goal has always been to throw five pitches at major league average or better. Mm. Because my, my thought is that most guys, if I throw five real pitches, I can kind of go to the well on that. You know, my fastball and a pitch. If I, if I can find my fastball in an area in a pitch, then I then I feel like I have a pretty good shot. And so I've kind of tried to cover those bases with variety as opposed to, you know, I don't think anything I throw is a 70. I don't think any throw, anything I throw is a 65. But I think I can throw three or four pitches at 55, 60, 65 sometimes. So
0: some I,
1: people may beg to differ that you don't yeah, have to Yeah, I disagree. Like, you
0: yeah, your
1: curveball's elite. What <laughs> yeah. are we talking about here? You don't think it's 65. You're Walker Buehler. What are we talking about here? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, it was really interesting. I wasn't calling um, a doubleheader on Saturday, and I saw Hendricks and Hayden Wesneski throw for Iowa. And I, I wanted to watch Wesneski in the pen because, like, you know, obviously that guy just got optioned. He's got some stuff he's got to figure out. Like the fastball was getting mm-hmm. hammered. And I I was watching his pen pregame, and, like, he was more emotive than I see many starting pitchers in the pen. And, like, I'm watching from the booth, typically. Like, I I see the back, and, like, you know, I need somebody to do, like, cartoon shit reactions, right? Right. Like, oh, no, bad pitch. But, you know, watching Wesneski, like, I I saw that he was struggling with (laughs) Weeper. but he figured shit out like he went five no hit innings after that by using the sweeper sparingly like when do you figure out what pitches you got does it take you a couple innings
2: um no i, I think it, i think it's different for me i think for me it's hitter to hitter to hitter to hitter and hope it comes together right or hope that the first one i throw that's not perfect i get away with um you know in general to righties i'm gonna throw four seamers I actually throw more two seamers righties and then the sweeper slider. Um, and then to lefties is more fastball, cutter, curveball yeah. with kind of occasional change. So I really see myself as kind of two different pitchers, righty to lefty. And uh, I've kind of started incorporating track man into my pregame bullpens. And I, I think less so to know like what I have that day in terms of like movement. But there's some pretty like glaring numbers for me that if I feel like I threw a good change up and it it says it's this number, then it's gonna be good. Yeah. And it, it kind of it really started with the cha- when I kind of started throwing this little change up to like check the box that oh I I have the decent one today. Because there was there's days that it's like you can't go throw that. Like there's no point in throwing it, so I'm gonna help you. You're probably gonna get beat with it. And so we kind of had like ranges of oh change ups in play today, cool. Uh, and then I kind of found those the numbers that correlate to those with my other stuff as well. and um, you know you start leaning on stuff, but there's kind of non-negotiables too. like I'm gonna throw some curveballs I'm gonna throw some cutters. I'm gonna throw sliders or varieties, whether it's good, bad or ugly. and um, that change up is the one that I kind of, yes no more than anything.
0: No, but the, the reason I asked, and um, maybe you kind of cleared it up by, you know, what's working in the pen, but like the cutter, even a few years ago, maybe not a few more like 2018, 2019, early on in your career, you know, it was a pitch that you used like four or 5% of the time. And in 2022, it's up to 24%. So are you in bullpens? And it's just the cutter just keeps working. Like I'm going to keep throwing that. And then the sinker off that has died down in usage. So was, here, was there like a tangible change or is it like every single time I throw a bullpen, this cutter just keeps getting better and better. So I got to keep throwing it. It's not because I don't want to throw the sinker. I had that? doubt.
1: Uh, I, I would say that was
2: more the evolution of ditching the thought of trying to throw a really hard slider. Huh? So for a long time, I wanted like the 88 mile an hour, like DeGrom, Verlander, little diver off of the fastball. Like you you see swings where they don't know that it was a slider like that. That's what I wanted. And I just couldn't find it. And I tried and tried to try it. And so you'll see that that cutter usage goes way up as I start throwing this big, slower slider. Hmm. So it's kind of like, all right, I can't get the one in between that I want. So I'll just throw both. And so it became more of me trying to jump cut to get lefties and then sweep to get righties.
0: I think it worked pretty well
1: yeah, that's yeah good. 21 that
2: cutter was about as good as it about as good of a pitch in the big leagues i think
1: it's a decent yeah. pitch for sure 100 <laughs> um you, you kind of watched a revelation unfold via email when we were going back and forth this weekend because i was like all right we could do like you know pitch data and what you're looking at with each pitch but then i was like well you know what, maybe we can do a pitch at the end of like each time we have you on. So today's four-seamer. And I'm like, I'm very excited for this one because obviously the four-seamer is the pitch, right? It's the pitch with sex appeal in baseball. And I I grabbed three guys that throw really effective four-seamers in in very different ways. But I'm asking you before I pull this video up and we're going to kind of break down uh, Strider, Joe Ryan, and Justin Steele what numbers, what information, what feel are you trying to get when you are throwing your four seam fastball? Because you got a damn good four-seamer.
2: Yeah. Um, I think the big thing is trying to get certain amount of inches above average, right? And that's so I asked you for all the major league average, right? So let me see here. We have it. I don't mean to be the guy to research on what no, so the it. average so- fastball. We don't have the IVB. So what I'll tell you is the average fastball when I first got in the big leagues was probably 15 and five, 15 and six. Okay. That's like that's the movement 15 profile. Of IBD, of yeah. Right. So what that really means from player perspective is that 15 and five is straight.
1: Okay. Dead, that's dead what meat,
2: people, Right. That's what people associate normal or average with. So if it's an average fastball, if it's a 15 and five, most guys will tell you that, look, it's really straight. Okay. So if I can add three inches either way, then it starts acting like it's doing stuff, right? So if I can throw 18 and five, a hitter will say that it's jumpy. If I throw 12 and five, they'll say it's like a dying heater, right? If it is nine inches of run, oh, it's got some run. Like you start piecing these things together, right? And so for me... I've always been a guy that barely cut. I throw a perceived cut. So it really is actually moving four inches to the right per the numbers. But when I'm at my best, it's like 18 to 20 and four. So it actually looks like it's kind of jump cutting a little bit. In reality, it's not. But the spin is not perfectly uh, up and down like this. It's like a little cut. And it actually runs a little baby bit, but it will look like it cuts to a hitter.
1: Okay, so, so real quick, Walker Bueller yeah. got a laptop, and he's got a mouse too. I don't have a fucking mouse.
2: Oh, I, I got. I didn't go laptop. I went big dog. I got a full-on computer. Holy shit, man! Oh, I got desktop. I got a.
1: How do you get hey, it all going? Well, they yeah, said you, it, you know,
2: everybody was telling me you couldn't hear anything I was saying last week, so I went big time. <laughs> I invested in the. Uh, I invested in the podcast and I got a little little iMac.
1: You're th- you're flipping the bird of the haters right now, and I love it. <laughs> what
0: one more one more thing about the fastball before we get into some of these videos? From what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is shape like that horizontal, the vertical movement is that becoming more of a focus than physical velocity? Because I feel, and we're going to go over some of these fastballs, yep. and this is why we wanted to bring some. Justin Steele throws 92 to 93. Joe Ryan's right. 93 to 95. Spencer Strider's, of course, 99. Right. But if you have a 93 mile an hour fastball with 20 and five, right. that seems much better than a ninety-seven mile an hour fastball that's 15 and 5. Right. So yeah. I should have
2: uh, I should have told you guys to put Rich Hill on this thing. We can go through Rich Hill's mix at some point. But he's the example of it, right? It's 86, but it's probably still 21 and 4 or 21 and 10. Like <laughs> It, he's, it's a special thing that he can do. And also, <laughs> people don't really understand. Velocity helps you. It makes inverted breaks so much easier to get. Like, right. there's a normal assumption that if a guy's throwing 100, it's going to be jumpy. Like, it's just the assumption, right? right? And the and the hitter's eyes know that. Right. So if you throw a 100 at 16, it's straight if you throw 90 at 17 it's got some something to it because 90 miles an hour should actually really be you know 14 not 16 you know whatever it is the the averages would go down as velocity goes down yeah so that makes- so all you're trying to do is get away from average
1: I'm excited to talk sinker with you because there are a couple of guys that I want to hit on, like Logan Webb and Fromber, but like I want to talk Gratterall too, because because that kind of like goes against what we're talking about, right? Where it's hard as hell, but I, I mean it's it's a it's a bowling ball, so um, I, I find that very interesting. But let's I'm jump also into the, video. the least qualified
2: guy in the world to talk about sinkers. So, <laughs> hey,
1: we're still gonna pick your brain about it. Man. We'll try. Make <laughs> so, it till you make it, but. We'll end with some video here. Um, I'm going to share my screen here. And again, this is awesome on YouTube. If you haven't watched our pitcher-hitter sequence breakdowns, we did Bueller against Posey. We did Cole against Buxton. And then we did Fromber against Mike Trout. And those were freaking gold. So
2: I thought those came I, out pretty cool. I haven't heard a whole lot of, of feedback on it, but I thought it was pretty cool.
1: 100%. I, I got some messages that it was like some of the coolest shit that, that a couple of my baseball, like, work friends haven't you yeah, we're tested.
2: trying to go a little hardcore in here we're not this isn't a fluffy thing we're trying yeah. to go hardcore stuff on here
1: let's nerd out chief so let's start with strider <laughs> here so strider obviously everybody looks at the fastball and they see quadzilla and they see 99 at your face but i'm starting here with adolis garcia and he goes 97 low and i want you to tell me why this four seamer is as effective as it is okay so the one at the
2: bottom, right? Like we can tell everyone, his, his heater's got the, the jump and the rise or the inverted vertical, right? So the ones at the bottom, that hitter has to like essentially teach himself through in a bat or a game that the ball that looks like it's going to hit the ground is going to be a strike. So he's going to get a lot of swings like this where it's late because there's that little bit of hesitation where he has to, the hitter has to tell himself that what he's seeing is incorrect.
0: That's crazy. Right. Well, so he can throw this ball safe. right down the
2: middle a lot of times and he's going to get late swing. Like I don't think Garcia has a whole lot of issue with velocity. Right. No. But that's not normal velocity.
1: No. I mean, that's 97. And if you're expecting that to end up so much lower <laughs> than it actually is, you're probably screwed. Right.
2: Yeah. To me, that has less to do with the the velocity and more to do with that. It's at the bottom. Got you.
0: And, and we talk about that break. So let's say, what was that on the gun, Jack? Was that 97? ninety-seven? Ninety-seven. Yeah. So what does that look like in the box? Because it has to look like one hundred and three or something.
2: Um, I think it's less the velocity number. It's just, it's literally just the angle out of the hand. Huh. So I face some of these guys that throw really, really hard that don't jump it, and then I face guys that do jump it. And like for instance, Scherzer threw me an Oo fastball the first time I ever faced Scherzer. I was right down the middle i think he might have thrown like a little he doesn't really throw two seamers but i think some balls he really tries to get on and some he doesn't and it didn't look very hard It was like in my head. I was like that was probably like 93 i looked up it was 96 then he threw me slider slider heater up and i swung and missed the heater up barely saw it and i could have sworn to you it was 100 miles an hour and i looked up and it was 96 Yeah. So certain launching, like the angle that the ball comes out, all of that stuff factors into it. But a guy like this where the release height is not low, it's probably around league average because it's pretty over the top. And I think he hides the ball pretty good, I think. I pause it right there. I'm going to go back like two frames.
1: Yeah, let me scrub a little bit. So he's
2: kind of like – keep going – He's probably not seen that ball until now. So like he hides it pretty good.
0: That's always on it. It's a here.
2: clean arm stroke and it's firm. It spins good. And I I actually like throwing the ball. I think guys that invert you know, jump the ball, I think we're actually losing throwing the ball down a little bit. I still yeah. really don't I don't really try and throw the ball up that much. Yeah. I think the up up inverted heater, like a, you know, the relievers, like, that's fine. But if you're a starting pitcher and you're trying to get through a thing three times, it's hard to throw the fastball, like, this high all the time. And I think, you know, if you you do that for too long, I think it can mess with the way you throw the ball. Because you're always trying to be, like, this inverted break comes from trying to throw the ball hard as shit down and spin it to keep it up, right? And so when you practice this, up peter all the time you're never gonna get like the repetitions of spinning it like that right
0: and so just, I, like, I
2: like i like guys that still try and go down
0: and even, even and like just, just to build on that point too i feel like in this era of baseball when everyone is trying to go consistently up hitters in the box they know that this guy's got a fastball that's gonna jump out the gym yeah. right so, so if in, they're
2: that plugs into the calculation of average, too, right? Yeah. Whatever the numbers say, if everyone's doing the same thing, even exceptional ones will start to look more average.
0: Yeah. Right. Like so you want to dig, not
1: zag when everyone right. else is zagging. Right. We're talking, you know, we're hitting like knee high. And listen, we just talked location there's a reason they play well up, right? Like yeah, that just that takes off that rock right sure. that <laughs> yeah, he does that shit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you can't tell me that that throw looks exactly like the one down, right? Mm. That looks – so I remember still to this day, if I want to throw the ball high, I don't ever aim there. I just try and throw it too hard. I try and throw really? it harder because I'm going to fly, right? And so you'll see like this ball has so much more run than the first one, at least to the naked eye. And it's different angles and whatever but that's yeah. a bolt right that's straight right this one looks like it's doing this right so yeah, that sounds... almost like i prefer that kind of difference because you throw it too hard your arms late and then you get more run but you're still getting the jump and so that was how i learned how to throw the upheater was just trying to throw it too hard
1: interesting huh. that's fascinating all right so this guy i like he, he boggles the mind of so many baseball fans right and Joe Ryan was like 89 to 91 at points yeah. last year. He's 93 to 95 so far all the tip yeah I mean this is absolutely insane. This is 93 by you this is 93 bell high by you. These are you two of his last fastballs against the angels. This is a little bit later in the game. He's getting her shell at to swing through that that's 93.
2: How's it at release for me?
1: Yeah, this is oh. the number one fastball in Major
0: League Baseball by run value. There's no one who's at negative twelve except for Joe right. Ryan right now.
2: Right there. So if you look at how like how low this is in comparison, if you could, if you mentally, if you're looking at this and you could imagine you're from the side of this and take the mound out of it, this ball's below his the hitter's shoulder. Yeah. Right. Like. If you sunk him below the mound, sunk him down, there, that ball's below his shoulder. So he's releasing his ball at probably five feet. Dude. And then you add the mound. So th- this is the other way people don't... Oh, it looks like it's jumping. Like, he's got, whatever, 13 inches, the mound, or 14... I don't even know the mound. But say he's releasing it at five foot off the mound. This hitter's six foot tall, and that ball ends up... 60% of his height. So this is the one of the jumpier fastballs from a lower release in baseball. I mean, and it's, it's, ending, just, it's ending at four feet, six inches off the ground.
1: Just watching this thing in slow-mo, you see it rising out of yeah. his hand because right, of all that's, that's What I'm running.
2: trying to explain is that this ball is going down because he's, he's releasing it at five feet and it's ending at four foot six. If this hitter's six foot tall, right? Yeah, it's just that's the optical. The like hitters uh, feel that too, but that low release with jump, Scherzer has done it his whole career. That's what makes Scherzer so, so special.
0: And then the he fact-
2: releases the ball from so low, and it just stays.
0: And then that's why the splitter is so good for Ryan too, because it's the, you know, it looks like the fastball, then it just drops off. So you have sure. two different complete directions. One's jumping out the gym and the other one is falling off the table, but he's both throwing it from the same arm slot. It's got the same arm speed and it's just, yeah. you don't know what to do, but that's why I was talking about velocity versus shape. Joe yeah. Ryan, you wouldn't expect at 93 miles an hour has the number one fastball in major league baseball. And I'm sure more teams are looking for the next Joe Ryan instead yeah. of the guy who just throws hundred miles an hour. So he's one of the most fascinating pitchers in major league baseball. because yeah, I mean, of that. I think that
2: point is wholeheartedly incorrect, but that's just me. Everyone wants velocity and that just is what it is. Yeah. But this low slot with rise is probably the least velocity dependent throw.
0: Do you, you really think that teams are looking well more for velocity than that shape? Like, you think teams would
2: way rather? For most money. What'd yep. you say? You ever seen a guy throwing 93 go first in the draft?
1: Good point. It's a good point. Skeens is 99. You like, you right? like
2: Skeens because he throws slow, or you like him because he throws hard, right? Like, you can, some of this stuff can be taught. Arm speed is one of the hardest things to teach. Yeah. Right? And, and that's what you'll see in any draft. We were talking about one beyond like, there's just not people built like him right Mm -hmm. he could if he could barely shoot he'd still be the number one pick right they can teach him to shoot they can't teach him to be seven foot five
0: that's actually that's actually a really good point because you can't teach the velocity can you teach that shape
2: you can help that shape but you can't help velocity at arm slots that's the so like I get what you're saying, and I understand there's a lot of successful guys throwing from low slot, and that's the Degrom thing, right? Degrom yeah. is pretty low, and he throws a hundred. Right. Yeah. And it's twenty-one. <laughs> like that's that's why it's different.
0: Right. That that makes more sense because you yeah, can't you can't teach. A,
2: this is a weird kind of different, and I've got a comp on this fastball, which you guys are not gonna realize until I say.
1: I'm in All right, this is Justin Steele Lefty for the Cubs Who's been a freak of all freaks Since last All-Star break And he's got Trey Turner Flinging a bat Down the third baseline On 92 Elevated And then here he's got Jeremy Pena Who I think has like A really interesting Timing mechanism And that's just
2: I would like for you To go back to both of them And watch how different The movement looks Okay So right, Watch this one This looks like It's going straight right Doesn't it It almost looks like A slider
1: yeah, yeah. It looks,
0: yeah, it looks it looks like it's cutting your
1: sliding,
0: and oh, now we nice. get playing it. Yeah, that fastball looks like it's starting on the the left-handed batter's box, and then it's yeah, going it's all the way inside. When that one is just straight jumping,
2: it, but it's got a little cut, right? yeah, a
0: teensy bit. Yeah, it even looks out of the arm <laughs> like it's cutting.
2: Those are those are the same throw. So this is one thing that's really hard. Is on different camera angles these things look crazy different
1: right uh, this like houston, is probably a little bit easier to ingest because it's more straight on right yeah
2: houston houston makes a lot of balls look like they do crazy stuff um texas makes balls look like they do crazy stuff the higher and more center you'll see like some weird stuff happen gotcha. everything looks pretty flat in philly but it yeah. looks like it cuts a lot right yeah so I've got two comps on this. Julio Urias does this okay, where it's a baby cut, but Julio kind of knows what it's doing. He's not intentionally cutting it, but some of them cut more than others and they kind of stay like that for the day. This guy reminds me so much of Max Fried Hmm. where the, the more glove side it gets, the more it cuts. So you'll see, God, my voice is horrible. (laughs) I got allergies out here bad right now.
1: I got allergies too, man. I get it.
2: You watch Freed. When Freed goes arm side, the ball's straight. When Freed goes glove side, it cuts like five inches. And it's just kind of like a sliding scale to get over that. This guy reminds me of that a lot. And it makes it, it's it's tough.
0: It's so funny because max freed can touch i mean i've seen him touch 98 miles an hour Mm -hmm. and yet i i see what you're saying though oh it's It's a real thing
2: but freed has also been very successful in certain i've watched him yeah 91 94 exactly like that the unpredictability so the the ability to throw strikes with an unpredictability of what it's going to do is insane it's so difficult
1: Fascinating. Hey, Walker Bueller, we've kept you for what 50 minutes now, so we got to let you run, man. No, Bill,
2: we got uh, we got to go on. We're good.
1: I love it. Uh, keep kicking ass with the rehab, man. <laughs> Excited to hear those updates. Um, saw you what through a quote unquote pen, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I tried
2: to post a video, but Instagram was down or something, it wouldn't let me go. So maybe I'll sneak it out there tomorrow
1: miserable love it hey walker bueller we'll talk to you next week i'm thinking sliders next week you in i like sliders you like sliders he loves doing the video stuff at the end and i love that he loves doing the video stuff at the end so expect to see that you know more and more we love it on youtube good way to go you know check out the youtube i know that was only about five minutes talking about those four seamers uh and he does a good job you know like vocalizing his thoughts on the audio front, but uh it's great to almost watch him watch through this video. So the must get-
0: watch on must watch on YouTube. Like I, you know, we always record the podcast on YouTube if you ever want to watch it. Like the Walker stuff, gotta tap into our YouTube. Just baseball fans on YouTube. You can watch we go pitch by pitch with him in
1: incredible breakdowns. It's Walker fucking Bueller. Walker it's Bueller, Walker Bueller. Dude. Go check out the YouTube. I was just having this <laughs> conversation. Like, I don't know. You You know that I've long thought that that guy's a top five pitcher in the game. And, you know, I, I think you hopped on that wagon, too. I think Arm hopped on that wagon. Like, when he's healthy, I mean, he's a 200-inning mid-twos guy. He's that so. guy. I mean, he's just that guy. He's and, the Los Angeles Dodgers ace. He's just that guy. And he's a weekly guest on the Jets baseball search. So go. go watch gotta that gotta on go. YouTube. All right. Four revelations before we let you go here. Um, this guy's not a revelation. But I saw a crazy note that I couldn't let slip by. Andrew Simon at MLB.com put together a really good article about what Acuna is doing that is so special. And as of May 20th, this guy was first in baseball in runs scored, in hits, and in total bases and war. He was first in the National League in stolen bases, OPS, and OPS+. And that puts him in incredibly rarefied air. Since integration 1947, this is again from Andrew Simon, great work at MLB.com. There have been two guys, three different instances where the same player has led their respective league in both OPS and stolen bases. Willie Mays did it in 1957 and 1958 with the Giants. Ricky Henderson did it in 1990 with the Oakland A's. And Ronald Acuna Jr., I understand that it is May 22nd, but he is on pace to do it in the National League with the 2023 Atlanta Braves. There's something that we're watching with Acuna that is so ridiculously special. And I I think I put this tweet out on Saturday morning. Trout officially passed Ken Griffey Jr. in B-War for his career. And again, like I went to the the old cliche saying that I just love so much, appreciate greatness in real time. What I'm saying about Ronald Acuna right now is you should appreciate the greatness of Ronald Acuna Jr.'s 2023 in real time. Because if you're along for this ride, you may see him do something that only Willie Mays and Ricky Henderson have ever done. Incredible.
0: You know what I find so funny about Ronald Acuna Jr.? Um, well, first, he has 26 walks and 30 strikeouts. Yeah. So that's also something. It's also another something. thing is you know how everyone was freaking about, freaking out about how the ground ball rate spiked right last year. He's yeah. keeping the ball in the ground. Ground ball rate's five percent higher than it was last year. Doesn't matter and, when you're
1: hitting the shit out of the ball.
0: When you're hitting the shit out of the ball, that's what I was about to say. His average exit velocity is ninety-five miles an hour. Aaron Judge's is ninety-six point four. He is in the 99th percentile of basically everything that you can do in ba- Major League Baseball. But the only issue is he has been really, really bad defensively this year. There have been some great threads on Twitter which you can watch. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to like down on him. you know, I'm not trying to rip him at all. Yeah, basically, what I'm saying is is that he is so good offensively and he has the talent to be one of the better defensive right fielders in Major League Baseball, but it does look like he's taking plays off. His routes have been terrible. He's not getting to balls. Like in some of those threads, you see 99% catch probabilities, and he's diving for it. 95% catch probabilities, and he's diving for it. That is almost unacceptable when you know the talent of Ronald Acuna Jr. And the fact is, like, And the reason I brought up the ground ball rate and the reason I bring up the defense is that while he's in the same air as Ricky Henderson and Willie Mays, there are a lot more things that he could be doing better. If he just had the same ground ball rate as he did last year when everyone was freaking out about it, some of those balls that were on the ground that might be in the air that he's hitting the living shit out of might be home runs. He might be at 15 home runs, not 11. If he was playing at least average defensive, he'd be blowing everybody out of the water in war, and he still is. Like, right. that's what I'm saying. That's the only reason I brought those things up, is he is the best player in baseball right now, and there are things to his game that are not normal to what he normally does. They're
1: actually way below his own averages. Yes. So it's even more to unlock. Right. So last thing on Acuna, one of those threads that I think you're referencing is from Andrea at Scout Girl Report. Thank you for bringing that that on Twitter. Yeah. And I thought that was like a fascinating thread. And I think that what she highlighted was a beautiful way of painting the frustration that so many baseball fans have with Ronald Acuna Jr. Yeah. Just frustrating. He's the most physically gifted player like We've got him and Tatis. Like, obviously, Otani. When I say player, <laughs> yeah, like, I kind of just want to so throw Otani yeah. out. Like, Otani should, like, when you're ranking top 10, you should just be zero. Yeah. Like, like you, you just, do we need to always no. say, aside from Otani, like, I hope his Just not. waste time. It just
0: <laughs> just know that whenever we say these things, Otani is also, did you know Otani's
1: fast? Yes, yes, good <laughs> okay, <Nicole>. call. <yeah>. Um, <laughs> okay, aside from Otani, comma acuna and tatis are the two most gifted athletes that this game has and i could make the argument especially with what he's doing so far this year that acuna is more gifted than tatis it is literally a lack of buy-in and i think that andrea does a great job here um so give her a follow at scout girl report she does a bunch of great shit and i thought that this acuna thread was like the next on the great line of of information that she puts out and you know she gives like you know, concrete examples of his lack of buy-in. So that, I think, is the root of frustration. But just know that what this guy is doing offensively, defensive buy-in aside, is historic, and you should be along for the ride.
0: Historic. And he's rocking the lowest ground ball rate of his career. Like, that's how amazing it is. Yes. Like, he's rocking the lowest ground ball, or highest. Highest. 52.7%. Like, that's terrible. Like, you should be in the... Thir- high thirties, Ron Acuna Jr. With how hard you hit the ball, you your, could hit forty yeah, when you're home that runs. Dude, you want
1: to be high thirties, yeah. When
0: you're when you're that dude, and just to wrap up on the Tatis thing, like Tatis walked into right field and has been one of the best defensive right fielders in He's all Major sick. League Baseball. Yeah. Acuna could easily do that yeah. if he bought in. Like he could easily be. He has maybe the best arm in Major League Baseball. I think it's up there. Maybe instead of Christian Bethencourt with the Rays.
1: I've seen him just fucking dot dudes at second. It's amazing. But is like a sneaky, fun tandem. But I I rest my case. Yeah. But yeah, Acuna
0: could be one of the best defensive right fielders in baseball. If he hit the ball in the air more, he could hit 40 home runs. And we have no debate on the stolen base. He could steal 60 this year and no one would be surprised. He has a 4.30 on base. He ain't striking out anymore. Lowest of his career at 14%. Walk rates at 13%. If he improves on defense and hits the ball in the air more,
1: he's the greatest player in our game. Yes. And um, he, like, is without those things. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally with you, man. All right, three guys. Mickey Moniak, Christopher Morell, Nolan Gorman. Let's start with Moniak here. 33 games in AAA Salt Lake, Mickey Moniak hit 308 with a 940 OPS. So he was hitting the ball really well. And we know that Moniak has that in him. We've seen that, like, you know, month-long good sample from him at the big league level. He and Joe Adele were just ripping through that Salt Lake offense. Eight games so far with the Angels. Mickey Moniak is 10 for 24. Two doubles, a triple, two homers. So that, count him five extra base hits of his first 10 hits five RBIs, two bags. He's OPSing 1273 through his first eight games. Moniak had a massive two-run double in Sunday's game in that win over uh, Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota. Mm -hmm, I I was watching Angels Twins. Um, I I was watching that game. I don't know why I blanked on the opponent, but Moniak, like second and third, nobody out. You go Moniak, Trout, and Otani. I'm thinking, okay, Mo- like Moniac's going to be retired here and it's going to come down to Trout and Otani trying to beat the Twins in a 1-1 game in the seventh. No, like he doesn't let the runs be on base for Trout and Otani. Moniac, when Mickey Moniak is good, it becomes a feel-good story because everybody wrote him off after that, you know, just brutal start to his minor league career.
0: And I think it's important to know the reason why we're talking about Mickey Moniak, right? You you might not know the story of Mickey Moniak. He's drafted number one overall in that 2016 draft. And Jack, I was going through this 2016 draft. It sucked. You want to hear the first 10 picks?
1: Um, oh, can I guess? Can you give me the team and I guess real quick?
0: Yeah. So at number one, the Phillies drafted Mickey Moniak out of La Costa Canyon High School in California. Who went number two
1: to the Reds? To the Reds was Nick Senzel. Yep. Who went number three to the Braves? The Braves at three was Ian Anderson. Yes, it was. Who went number four to the Rockies? To the Rockies. Was that Riley Pint? Yes, it was.
0: Nice. At number five to the Brewers. If you get this, I will be incredibly impressed. Five to the Brewers. College or high school guy? He went to Louisville. He was an
1: outfielder. Oh, Corey Ray. Bang. Number six to the A's? Um. Oh, I saw him. Uh, Beck? Uh mm you have the you have the right sound of the last name. Yeah, high school outfielder. Nope, um, nope,
0: nope, nope. Pitcher out of Florida. That might have given it away. Oh, Puck, AJ Puck. Puck, number seven to the Marlins. Uh, pitcher out of Florence High School in Alabama. Braxton Garrett. Braxton Garrett, number eight, pitcher out of Stanford, is putting together a Hall of Fame career. He Cal- went uh, number eight to the Padres. Maybe the greatest eighth pick of all time. Al Quantrill, yeah, Al Quantrill, number eight. Should have gone number one, but whatever. Yeah. And number nine, uh, Sheldon High School.
1: High school armed at the Tigers. Was that Manning? Matt Manning. Yeah. And man. number 10 to your White Sox. Zach Collins, catcher from Miami.
0: I mean, are you kidding me? Dude, that's a brutal top 10. Guess who the Rays got at 13? Um, Who'd they get at 13? Josh Lowe. In 2016? 2016, they got Josh Lowe at a Pope High School in Georgia. Damn. Third base prospect. But yeah, so Moniak goes first overall in that brutal top 10. Brutal top 10. But the reason why is like Mickey Moniak was taken first overall. This is a first overall pick. And really, really rough start. Like he came in high school bat, which high school bats going number one. It's a tough pick to, you know, show to your franchise and be like, hey, this is our guy, like an Angels team who you hope is going to compete, but you go high school bat number one overall. And I I remember that draft vaguely, and I don't think he was like consensus number one. I don't really think there was a consensus number one pick, but they went Mickey Moniak, and it looked like it just, I mean, the Phillies, like, and no, this wasn't the Angels, excuse me. This was to the Phillies, but they were in kind of a similar boat there. And he just never panned out. And it looked like, all right, that was one of the biggest busts in MLB history. And that's like, you know, it's not on us. It's the baseball community for writing him off. But he's 25 years old and he's got a smooth swing. And now he's leading off to the Los Angeles Angels. And I always bring this back because I always think it's important to keep reiterating. Jacob DeGrom wasn't Jacob DeGrom until 26. Yep. Like Jared Kelnick, look what he's doing right now we got to give these guys a little bit of time. And Mickey Moniak, it's so cool to see what he's doing right now. And that's being the leadoff hitter for the Angels. And, like, it ain't a joke. This guy yeah. can hit
1: and he can run. He's got two bags already, too. No, he's and, and, Or at least yeah. he looks like it. He looks legit. Um, I think that he can be legit. I'm not sure about leadoff, but tell you what, like this adds an element to the Angels offense that I was not expecting with Neto in the nine hole, and then you turn it back over to Moniac to Trout and Otani. Like I'm cool with that nine, one, two, three there. Is Trout or Otani slugging 833 right now? Maybe it should at third. Ooh, good call. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. Um, sample size. hundred percent. I <laughs> I'm all about small sample size theater. Uh guy that is about two years his junior is Christopher Morel. And Morrell Mm. was OPSing 740 last year. I think he played about 70 games with the Cubs at the big league level last year. Morrell is still a qualified hitter in AAA baseball. He is still leading AAA baseball in slugging percentage. He's third in OPS behind Nolan Jones and Matt McClain. He played 29 games with Iowa. He hit 330 with 11 homers, 31 driven in, and an 1155 OPS. Morrell got the call up. And in his first 11 games of 2023 with the Cubs, this guy's hitting .370 with a 1353 OPS and a 960 slug. He's got eight homers in his first 11 games this year, and he's driven in 14. So if you're counting at home, 29 plus 11 is 40. He's played 40 games. He's got 19 home runs in 40 games between AAA and the Bigs. I'm not telling you that this is sustainable. What I am telling you is that Christopher Morrell is one of the freakiest athletes that I think we've got in baseball. And he's a name that not many people know. He can run like the wind. He's got a crazy arm. And he's got juice, man. Morel's a freaky, twitchy athlete. A lot of Cubs fans I know immediately gravitate towards him because he feels a lot like Javi Baez. This guy's going to be a big leaguer for a long time. And I'm willing to stamp my name on that. Absolutely. I, I
0: agree with you. I mean, he's 23 years old. I just I look at the strikeout rate and the walk rate. And I'm like, yeah, it's egregious. It's egregious. And it is so hobby bias, right? It's 36% K rate, it's a 4% walk rate. This dude's going up and he's swinging the bat. But, it's but when only- you have a 61.5% hard hit rate, I mean, that's by far the highest in baseball. Of course, it's an incredibly tiny sample. So. But the power is there. Like, when he's making contact, the ball is flying out of the ballpark. That is not a joke. And, you know, I, I think it's funny, like, is he going to, like, grow into his body a little bit more? Like, he still I'm, looks kind of raw. Like, he's still so young. I'm I'm not saying he's going to grow to, like, 6'3 and, and be this crazy power hitter. But when he makes contact, the ball flies. And he swings so much. Like, he's just, regardless of how good he is, He's going to be just a fun watch every single time he takes the plate. Because unsimilarly to Javi Baez, he's not an idiot up there. You're right. Like, yes, he strikes out,
1: but he doesn't issues. have
0: just a dumbass approach at the plate. <laughs> like striking out versus having a bad approach and striking out are two different things. Yeah. And I don't think he has a great approach, but he doesn't have a horrible approach. And he's still so young. So he's just going to keep maturing too. Like it's so cool. Like, You know, Cubs fans, you know, are in my DMs and being like, you know, what is happening? And it's like,
1: expectations were weirdly high. Expectations. I would just say weird. Like, I don't need, I don't even think you need to say weirdly high. Like some people were like, oh, this team's going to suck. Some people were like, this team's going to be better than a lot of people expect. Expectations for a 500 team are impossible to say. I, I exactly. And I take that
0: from, I posted about the Cubs and I was like, yeah, I think they will be a 77, 78 win team. And like yes. the influx of Cubs fans being like, you're way undervaluing us this year. Like we're going to win the division. Like all this. I'm like, I think so? are we what? Like, yeah, but I'm not saying it's a bad thing because they have morale. We're watching PCA. You know, they have so many guys in the minor leagues and like the window is starting to open. You st- Like Eric Hosmer was signed. Do you think this this is a win now team? Like I I didn't get it, but that was I wasn't dissing them. Like you're going to be good soon. It's just this was not the year I didn't think. And like it's showing right now, but you see the pieces starting to form. Like that's like Jeremiah Estrada and their bullpen is fucking awesome. He's nasty. Nasty. Like they're getting all these young guys and you're starting to see them
1: come up. That's what Cubs fans should be focused on. No, man, I I think that this is the time frame for the Cubs to figure out who is part of the winning window and who isn't. And they've commit to some guys being part of the winning window, right? They commit to Dansby Swanson, Nico Horner, Ian Happ being part of the winning window. They want to, it sounds like, commit to Cody Bellinger being part of the winning window. Like, Bellinger is freaking great right now, and like this is that Cody that we remember pre-COVID. Um, on the Hill, Stroman, they had preliminary extension talks a little bit earlier. They might want Stroman as part of the winning window. They probably want Justin Steele as part of the winning window because he's been how, freaky. How they, he's been freaky. He's been amazing. Exactly. But they got to figure out the bullpen, man. Like, Alzali looks like the best reliever in that bullpen. Everybody else is just coughing up leads left and right. I would just slow down on Bellinger a little bit. 578 OPS in May. Like, he had an amazing April. Yeah, but like sign me up for a resurgent June, man. I'm back on the Bellinger train. I'm I'm drunk on Bellinger juice. I'm high on Bellinger Leaf. Like I which one's the right term there? I don't think either of them are, but I I, <laughs>
0: I, I think Bellinger is what he is. I think he's gonna hit some home runs. I think he's gonna steal some bases, but I don't see him as a long-term piece for the Cubs. I don't, and like I hope he proves so, me
1: wrong. That's but- the thing, though. But like even if you don't Pete Crow Armstrong is here like exactly that's what through. i'm saying when so Casey's here making his way through so they they have a lot of options i think that this is the year to assess what you've got watch the minor leagues and figure out like what the best version of your roster looks like when you go and try and you know do what you did in 2016 again last guy real quick before we go did you think Nolan Gorman was good in June or in uh, April yeah i did guess what He's fucking better in May. 25 games in April. The guy hit 264 with an 872 OPS. I was like, wow, if they're getting this from Gorman, they're in a really good spot. 16 games in May. This guy's hitting 367 with a 13 OPS. Seven homers in 16 games, 17 driven in, seven walks, 11 punch outs in the month of May. Nolan Gorman has been one of, if not the best hitter in baseball in the month of May. And I find it very interesting that there is a direct correlation between Gorman playing out of his fucking mind and the Cardinals getting out of this weird abyss that they were in. It's like Nolan Gorman. I remember we
0: were talking about him with arm early because arm was a little bit scared of him, you know, moving forward because his approach at the plate, right? He was chasing a lot. The swing rate was high But the zone contact wasn't really there. There was never a debate of, man, when he makes contact, it's going to go a long way. It was just a lack of approach. Swing rate, down. Chase rate, down. But you know what's up? Zone contact. You see him making better decisions. Day in, day out. And it just keeps getting better. Like, he gets to share a locker room with Paul Goldschmidt. Like, he gets to share a locker room with Nolan Arenado. He gets to share a locker room with all of these incredible hitters, and he's probably learning so much. And again, he's another guy that's 23 years old. Like, he's just learning, and we're seeing it in real time. The swing decisions from him, I think, are so impressive. But then you look at what he's doing with those swing decisions, hitting the living piss out of the ball. Like, we just talked about how Christopher Murrell, 61 and a 61.5, percent hard hit rate oh it's way higher than everybody else and it's an incredibly small sample he has a 50 percent hard hit rate like he is a masher from all angles and he hits everything right now fastballs good luck he's hitting 330 but it's the breaking balls it's the off speed and you know that's Direct correlation with better swing decisions. He's not going outside the zone. He's waiting for his pitch because he knows when he gets his pitch, he can hit it a mile. That's exactly what he's doing right now. We're seeing the maturation of a guy who has elite power output, but it's like he's not selling out for it and he hits to all fields. He's just a fun
1: hitter to watch and an absolute pain
0: for other pitchers.
1: Yes, and I will tell you, he hasn't had many opportunities against left-handed pitching. I'm not sure if he started a game against a lefty starter this year. Yeah, they platoon him, basically. Um, 13 ABs against lefties. He's got two homers in 13 at-bats. So, so yeah, at, at worst, right now, it's like, yeah, you know, he,
0: he's not going to be as good against lefties, but the power is still going to be there.
1: The power is still there. Like, if he runs into a couple homers, if he sees the occasional lefty and he hammers right-handed pitching – this is an everyday player.
0: No, the Cardinals are putting him uh, in places to succeed at 23 years old. And, and then he gets succeeding. that confidence. And then he starts to put it together against lefties and then sky's the limit. Yep. Like what if we're like Nolan Gorman at 25 years old, like Dylan Cruz is not that much younger than Nolan he's Gorman Two years younger. Yeah, exactly. Like we, we got to give these guys time and we're seeing it unfold. That's what's so cool. Right? Like I bet if we asked arm about Nolan Gorman, we talked to him on the next episode. He'll be the happiest person that he was wrong about Nolan yeah. Gorman. Happiest person, because we always want to be proved wrong. High and exactly. Impressive. And be like, I'm so glad because the problems that I saw, he has corrected. Yeah. And then the things that we liked about him are showing up more by the decisions that he's making. It's yeah. incredible. And it's like, you look at all the rest of the guys in the lineup and it's like, you don't want to face Gorman with runners on base. And it's so funny saying that now about a guy with the rest of the Cardinals lineup
1: and then what Nolan Gorman was before. Yeah, you know, it's, it's insane, man. And the maturation process in the course of a season is utterly incredible. Orioles, Walker Bueller, Acuna, Moniac, morell, Nolan Gorman. That's what we just hit. Do your Lincoln promo thing. That was the just baseball
0: show for Monday. Hopefully you guys all enjoyed it. And of course we are powered by bet MGM. Use code JBFANS when wagering on any MLB game. Put down 10, get $100 in bonus bets, and then every Wednesday and Saturday, BetMGM is loading up your account with bonus bets for the people that use our code. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Get your Just Baseball merch. That's the best way to support this podcast. I got my hat. We're coming out with a bucket hat soon. A lot of cool new merch stuff happening on our store. So definitely go check it out. But again, if you don't want to spend a dime and you're not a gambler, the best way to support is to just rate and review this podcast five stars, whether that be on Spotify or Apple podcasts, and definitely go check out our YouTube, watch these breakdowns with Walker because some things can get lost in translation over audio. Of course, we appreciate you listening on audio and, for the rest of the podcast but for those segments best watch is on youtube and with that thank you everybody